my answer to the question is we're fixing to find out if I can make a sermon out of scraps. As you might imagine, there will be some repetition in what I have to say, but I think as we consider this idea of love as it relates to fulfilling the law, that even the scriptures that we're going to reuse, hopefully we'll be able to think about from a little different perspective than the way they've already been presented. I, I have loved the day. I love the format, other than the fact I am the last speaker. I uh, appreciate the fellowship, the food, everything about the day has been lovely. And I hope that as we study, beginning here in Romans chapter 13, that we'll have some thoughts that will be helpful for everyone here. So the idea that I had, I'm not sure what the idea the brethren here had was, but the statement is made in Romans 13 that love fulfills the law. So I want to use that phrase uh, as the title for our study, and I want to examine that phrase uh, as we go through. But we're going to start here in Romans 13, beginning in verse 8, where the apostle says, "No, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to its, his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So at first glance here, you know, you know what I see? I see that if love is the fulfilling of the law, then all this other thou shalt nots are not necessary. Right? He don't have to tell us to not covet our neighbor's stuff. If we love him, we're not going to covet his stuff. We're certainly not going to murder him. That's pretty simple. But he says, you don't have to necessarily have all of that detail if you love your neighbor. That's how you fulfill the law. Okay, now I want to go into this a little deeper, as you might imagine. So I want to start with talking about love. Now, I'm not any expert on love. I've learned a lot of things today, but I'm not an expert. It's a struggle for me. But I know a guy, and these guys have already talked about it. God is love. Now, I hope this definition here looks familiar to, to you because I took it straight out of Jason's sermon. This is the definition that he used. Love is not a feeling or an emotion, nor is it something that accidentally happens. It's a deliberate, selfless, sacrificial choice to act for the good of the recipient of our love Despite how they treat us, that's exactly how God loved us. So that's the definition we want to use for love today. I think it's a good definition. And I think it's important that we understand what the word means. What do you mean, husbands, when you say to your wife, I love you? What, what does that mean? 
Does that mean your heart goes pitter-patter? It can. That can be what it means, but that's not what we're talking about here in Romans 13. When we say to our wives or our spouse, I love you, that means that I'm going to make the choice to do what's best for you. That's what that means. Is that what we have in mind? Now, don't get me wrong, folks. The feeling and the emotions that we have in our relationships are important. And the Bible talks about the emotions and the feelings we have in our relationships. But that's not what he's talking about in Romans 13. Two completely separate things. So I want to talk about that for a minute. In Philippians chapter 1, this is from the New King James. It says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all. He had a longing. This is an emotion. I believe it's love. In the sense that we would define love that way. With the affection with, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's the emotion. And it's real. And it's important in our relationships. Look at this, 1 John 3. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Y'all remember, I'm sure we will all remember the illustration Sean Sauter started with this morning, this afternoon. You remember what he said? He felt he felt as bad about that deal as anything he's ever had in his life. He had emotion. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But we need to make the distinction between the two. My little children, he goes on to say, let us not love in word or in tongue. Is it a bad thing to say I love you to your spouse or to your child or to your parent? No, that's not his point. It's not a bad thing to express your affection for them. But it is important what we do as well. Love in deed and in truth. You see the two different things here? There was the emotion, but the love is a choice. You're going to choose the love in deed and in truth. I see a very clear distinction there. And I think that's important for us to understand what the Bible is teaching us when it comes to love and affection. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, The aged women likewise. Paul is teaching, telling Timothy what the older women need to do. Okay? 
the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Why would a mother have to be taught to love her child? He's not talking about affection. A mother has that natural affection for her child unless there's something wrong with her. But a mother don't necessarily know how to choose the right things for her child. She don't necessarily know how to love that child. That's why she needs an older woman to teach her those things. Love is a learned behavior. It's a choice. And that means it needs to be taught. Younger women in this context, very specifically, he says, need to be taught how to choose the right things and have the right priorities with their husband and with their children. So we think about that. We consider what Jesus says here in Matthew 5. We have a command here. Do you feel like it? Do you feel like loving your enemies? That's irrelevant. He's not talking to us about how we feel about our enemies. He's talking to us about how we treat our enemy and the choice we make in our behavior towards those people that we would consider to be enemies. Love is a command and it's a choice. And it needs to be taught and it needs to be learned. Not just one group of people, all of us. That overarching principle in Scripture, I believe we learn how to love. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar. Don't care how you feel. Keep His commandments. Remember, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's pretty simple, isn't it? You choose to keep His commandments. As Ty just said, His commandments are not grievous. He don't tell us to do things that are going to hurt us. But we make that choice, and that's how we love God. In Him verily is the love of God perfected. Jason made this point. I want to put a scripture with it. 
We see the difference in Scripture between the action and the feeling. Scripture also reveals to us this principle. You do the right thing, and the feeling will come. I want to illustrate it to you with what seems like a very simple and straightforward illustration to me. Jesus said those that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth, right? We get that. We preach that. We believe that. And we believe what that means is that God tells us how He wants us to worship Him, right? But then we have people that say all the time, I'm looking for a church that makes me feel good. I want to go to a place where when I leave, I feel good. Well, that's backwards. If we go to a place that's worshiping God in spirit and in truth, then we ought to leave feeling good because we pleased God. Instead, we want to feel good and expect God to be happy with that, whatever it is we do. Do what God wants you to do, and then you'll feel good about it. And we have confidence, the apostle says, in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Do you see some obedience there? He told them what they needed to do, and he said, I'm confident you're going to do it. You know what the result of that is? And the Lord will direct your hearts, your emotions, into the love of God, into the wait, patient waiting for Christ. The feelings follow the choice. And we've got to believe that. And we've got to keep doing the right thing, whether we feel like it or not. And that's how love fulfills the law. So now I want to think about this idea of fulfillment for a little bit. This is Strong's number 4137. It means exactly what you think it means. You, you complete something. Complete it or accomplish something. That's what fulfill means. So love, the choices we make, complete or accomplish law. That's the idea. So when we go to Luke 24, and the Bible says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus is talking here. He's talking to the Jews. And he says, Everything that's in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms that was said about me, will be completed. And so you and I are blessed to have God's complete revelation in these Bibles that we hold in our hand. And so we can go back and we can look in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms and we can find every prophecy and every statement that was made about Jesus. And then we can go to the New Testament and we can find all those things. Guess what? They were accomplished. He fulfilled them. 
Matthew 5, 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, destroy, but to fulfill. They were all tore up because it sounded like Jesus was wanting to destroy that. And he's trying to get them to understand, No, I come to complete it. Now remember, love completes and what is Jesus? God is love. And as we look at that and we think about what Jesus did in relation to the law, He completed it. He kept it in perfection. Galatians 3 and verse 24, Wherefore the law is our schoolmaster, He's talking about us. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Jesus fulfilled the law. He completed the law, the law of Moses. And we no longer need the law of Moses. And we're no longer under that schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that's the fulfillment of the law. And its purpose was to bring us to Christ. In Romans 8, in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Remember Galatians 3, 27, we're baptized into Christ. We just read that. Now he says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We've escaped the death sentence that we deserve because of our own sin. But notice, this is conditional. This is conditional because he says it's for those who walk not after the flesh. But after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law cannot do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Notice that the righteousness, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. There was righteousness in the law. Those, those Ten Commandments that were in Romans 8, where we started, those are righteous. Those are correct. Those are the right things to do. And he's not saying that that came to an end. He's saying it's fulfilled in us, you and I, that are baptized into Christ and that choose to walk after the Spirit and not the flesh. We make the right choice. That's love. 
fulfilling law. Okay, now Galatians 5. For brethren, you have been called into li- unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. How do you feel? Don't matter. Brandon talked about it. You know what I feel like? I just feel like going and being by myself and not talking to anybody. That surprises people sometimes when I say that. But I'm I'm very much an introvert. I would just as soon be by myself. That's what I feel like. That's not how you serve one another, with love. That's not the right choice to make. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, and that's a, that's a direct quote. I believe it's Leviticus 18, maybe. But that was quoted in the law. You love your neighbor as yourself. By keeping those commandments. And now that's fulfilled. When we make those same choices, when we choose to treat our neighbor and love our neighbor like that, it's fulfilling God's law. So this may seem a little strange to you, but... I want to know what law he's talking about here. In Romans 8, in Romans 8, when he said, love is the fulfilling of the law, what, what law is he talking about? There's, a good, there's different laws in Scripture. We already read about one, the law of life in Christ Jesus. That's one law. We know the old law, the law of Moses, is referenced frequently all throughout the New Testament, and it said it's the law. So what law is he talking about in Romans 8? Remember the context? I see you say in Romans 8, it's Romans 13, wasn't it? That's where we started. But do you remember the, the context in Romans 13? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. He's talking about civil law here in Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 7, he says, Give to honor to whom honor, tribute to whom tribute. He's talking about our relationship with civil government. And then in verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything. I believe there's a broader context to Romans 13 and verse 8. 
than just He's very clearly referencing the law of Moses there. He quotes the Ten Commandments. But he does that in the context of talking about our relationship with our civil government. Love fulfills the law. I don't care how you feel about your civil government. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. We need to obey the law of the land as best we can without violating God's law. Remember in 1 Peter 2, Peter says to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God. that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Our choice to submit ourselves as much as we can to the law of the land is love. And I'm suggesting that that is the fulfillment of the law. When we make that choice... Don't matter how we feel. In James 2, James says if you fulfill the royal law, royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, you do well. And I think we've already seen some other scriptures that would reinforce the idea that when we choose as Christians to do righteous things, we're fulfilling the old law. In John, 1 John 5, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. One of the other guys talked about what, what we have in common, why we're here today, why we get together in worship. The gospel is what brings us together. We're keeping His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He's quoting a prophet here. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And he just plainly states here in Galatians 6 and verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. And Jason had some excellent thoughts about this discourse here in Galatians 6. But when we do that, we fulfill the royal law. We complete it. We accomplish it. We accomplish the things that God wants for us to accomplish in our life. So it's not just one law that love will complete. 
That's my point. Romans 2. This really has nothing to do with us. I just find it interesting. Because what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is he's talking about Gentiles that lived during the time of the law of Moses. And what happened to them? I mean, they had no law. They had no relationship with God. Are they just all lost? So I want to notice what he says here. For as many as have sinned without law, he's talking about Gentiles, under the law of Moses, right? So they, as many have sinned without law, shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So he's contrasting the Gentile with the Jew here. And then he says this, For not the hearers of the law are just before God. He's poking those Jews in the eye. That's what he's doing. Because he's saying, Y'all had the law, you knew what to do, but all you did was listen to it. You didn't do it. You just loved in, in word. They said the right words, but they didn't do it. And he says the, the doers of the law are justified. Now notice, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do my nature the things contained in the law... These having not the law or a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, to understand that, I want to take you back to Acts 10. So I talked about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. In verse, I believe it's verse 2. Cornelius was a Gentile. And the Bible says about him, I think in verse 2, that he was a devout man. He gave alms to the people and prayed to God always. That's the guy... Paul was talking about under the law of Moses. The law of the conscience. It was written in his heart. He was trying to do the right things. But Cornelius lived to see the gospel. And he needed to obey the gospel. So that's why Peter was there. But my point is, under the law of Moses, Paul says in Romans 2, they could fulfill the law by doing the right things. Making the right choices. Romans 7. He says here, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law 
how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. He's talking about what I'm going to call the marriage law. And the marriage law was established in the book of Genesis after the fall. And God said to the woman, Eve, you will be subject to your husband. Now he's making a comparison here. He's trying to get these Jews to understand that they're no longer subject to the law of Moses. That's what Paul's doing here in Romans 7. But what I want you to consider is that the marriage law is fulfilled by love. Ladies, you have a choice. You can submit to your husband or not. But you fulfill the marriage law when you choose to submit yourself to your husband. Don't matter how you feel about him. It helps if you feel pretty good about him. But the command is to submit. And my point is, you fulfill the marriage law by choosing to submit to your husband. And I know as we look further that man has obligation in the marriage as well and he has the same choice. He's either going to fulfill his duties as a husband or he's not. So Jason talked about rabbit trails. Now there's a rabbit trail I'm not going to go down. I'm going to leave it right there. But my point is Love fulfills law. Not just one law, but several laws. So as we summarize and conclude today, I want to take you back to Matthew 22. I think Ty read these verses. I find it interesting here that the intent of the lawyer is revealed, and clearly Jesus knew what his intent was. But he just answered the question. He just answered the question. Love is the greatest. Love God, love your neighbor. Romans 13. He talks about love. He talks about what it is. He talks, he tells us very specifically the choices to make. And then what does he say? Now abideth faith, hope, charity. The greatest is charity. Colossians 3, 14. Above all these, he's talked about a whole bunch of stuff here in Colossians 3. Go read it. A lot of good things. A lot of good choices we need to make. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together.
ties us all together. That's why it's the greatest. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And that's my summary. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your attention. And God bless you as we work on this every day, abounding in love. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.